0: Yeah, it's the preamble, it's not the comedic intro,
1: though. Uh, Wow, we can't always be comedic old, can we? I thought you could. I thought that's the only way people would. Oh, right, okay. It's not for our advice. Well, that's for sure.
0: This is for entertainment, not advice. Yeah, entertainment purposes only. Come on. Welcome to the Financial Independence Garage, where we share the tools to improve your finances and unfold the roadmap to financial independence. Again. Again. Again what? Again, we're unfolding the roadmap. Again, we're getting good at it. Maybe we should leave it unfolded. Yeah, like why do we keep folding it back up? Yeah, well, it's kind of always open for me because I've got like did you guys pin stuff in your uh, browser. Like I've got these pin things that I have to try and catch up and read all the time. Like a push pin? No, you can pin pages in a browser so they stay up. So when you open your browser again, they're there to remind you to read them. How do you do that? Never mind. I'll just tell you after the show. Welcome <laughs> to the that's show. Oh. Thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It is The Money Mechanic with you, as usual. <laughs> Struggling to talk The Money Mechanic over Yeah, we're
2: going to get a cut, I
0: think. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. Well, I had I, I paused for the cut already. You guys ruined the second cut. Exactly. Well, you're welcome. All right, just crack your beers and get drinking. It's the economist, oh. the accountant, because they can't even get it started. I have the beer blurb tonight, and I have a special beer.
2: Ooh, a special beer.
0: Special beer over here. So, because we're not all in person, you guys are the losers of the end of this deal. I had a little beer exchange with Mark Seed from myownadvisor.ca, and he sent me some wonderful Flora Hall Brewing from Ottawa, Ontario. So a little bit about Flora Hall before I jump right into this beer... Uh, it looks like a beautiful building in Ottawa, and it was actually the floor Hall was built in 1927, and it was used originally for as an automotive firm, and apparently it had a long history of being involved with different sorts of mechanical and engineering. And a few years ago, uh, the brewery sort of took over from a little bit of a defunct renovation and upgrade that never really happened, and so Flora Hall Brewing opened three years ago and it looks like an absolutely gorgeous building out there and they do a bunch of beers and I have with me right now the Northeast IPA. Thanks a lot, Mark. The quote on the back of this can is sunshine in a can. And man, did you guys look outside today? We needed some sunshine. We got some serious wicked first of the sort of winter blows and rains today. And what was it like over on the continent there? Sunny. Sunny. You have BS.
2: No, I'm serious. There was, <laughs> there, there was some wind, but it was sunny. I don't often get to say that over here.
0: Okay. Usually that's fair. You have
2: a lot more sun.
0: Yeah. Well, it was one of those days where you needed like a windbreaker and your sunglasses. Cause it was squally. But anyway, I digress this is the Flora Hall Northeastern IPA. Our modern Northeast IPA is fresh and juicy with notes of mango, peach, grapefruit, and a soft, hazy texture. Late edition hops lend a refreshing bitterness that's more balanced than a traditional IPA's. So there you go, Flora Hall. I'm looking forward to trying this one. Yeah. That sounds delicious. I would have shared it with you guys. I honestly would.
2: Okay. Well, we appreciate your lip service anyhow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're not the only lucky one because i have a Hayes junction pale ale from winter long brewing supplied by the accountant and i won't i won't read the blurb here because uh we've had this beer on before but cheers was
0: this Thanks. the one i missed out on
1: no you oh yeah it is <laughs> yeah
0: i drank yours.
2: from the yukon
0: yeah <sighs> Okay. Well, good. I hope it's good. This one, my goodness, the nose off this floor hole. I mean, all these kind of beers that have um, the this th- these kind of beers, you should never drink them in a can. Okay, you always need to pour them out into a glass and I pour this one out. As you were talking, there, I was starting to smell the nose of this thing, and it is smells delicious. Nice. Right? This this one tastes
2: like orange. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is which is interesting because it says orange, juicy, smooth on the can.
0: Sounds like they nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so (laughs) it's uh, exactly as it's pegged. Okay. You know what the big difference is, is like, I just had a sip of this one and I definitely get some of like peach mango flavor to it. And I get that. Like the back of the can kind of tells me what I'm going to taste. I mean, you guys, we've done scotch tasting before and they're kind of coming up with flavors for the scotches that I've, I could never even imagine of like hints of vanilla and this and that in the background. It's like, come on beer. I can taste it.
2: When the beer can tells you what you're going to taste, you're probably going to
1: taste it. Yeah, that's there's a real good chance. <laughs> All right.
2: Wow. What do you have there, Mr. Kenton?
1: Uh I have a Phoenix Gold Lager from Phillips Brewing. Classic. Oh, yeah. Always good. You think they'd be a sponsor by now, the amount
0: of times we've had their beer? Well, I'm, I've always got a case of Phillips in the fridge, yeah.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to have a free <laughs> case of Phillips in the fridge? Yeah, that would be, or a free keg of Phillips in the fridge would be even better.
0: (laughs) Or a free keg of Phillips in the garage. It would take a free can of Phillips. Okay, let's not get greedy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair (laughs) enough.
0: Fair (laughs) enough. Let's keep keep it simple here. All right. Well, we're not going to spend quite as much time before the show talking before the show today, are we? Well, I was going to do
2: a little talking before the show.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I'm that's news to me. So please start us off.
2: (laughs) I was I was on the old. uh, Twitter machine posting our uh, our time episode. And I don't know if you know this, but on Twitter, there's a they show you a feed with a bunch of things that is meant to waste your time. Right. You, you've got you've been there, right? So I, I,
1: I am on the Twitters, yes. So
2: today it was a video of a guy asking luxury car owners what they do for a living. And one of these reminded me of The Mechanic. It was, whoa, uh, whoa! Whoa! Whoa!
1: Whoa!
2: <laughs> <laughs> it was a woman in a Maserati. So they they ask her, "What do you do for a living?" And she says, "What do you mean?" And he repeats himself. She says, "I'm married. Why?" <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of the situation you have going over there right now, right?
1: Untrue. <laughs> deny. Deny. <laughs> uh, it's pretty close. <laughs> I still have a job and earn my earn my keep. <laughs>
2: That's right, but you we have know.
1: a- you have a job like one week every two months, don't <laughs> you? uh technically it's two weeks every eight weeks, so two weeks every two months,
0: so that's one week
1: <laughs> okay. every, <and> it's semantics
2: <laughs> yeah that's, a, that's that's reasonable though right that's what yeah, we're that does seem for.
1: like a reasonable work schedule to me yeah it's one third
0: time is what it is I'll that's take it, it. <laughs> all right, well, that does segue a little bit into our episode tonight in a really stretchy way <laughs> yeah. Because we are going to talk about what to do
1: when your RSP and TFSa is full. Buy a Maserati. I see where you're going with this. <laughs> yeah, right. Of course, <laughs> immediately get a Maserati. That's, if it's yeah, you're done.
0: <laughs> we've never we've never talked about collectible automobiles. That's true. There is actually a lot of money in collectible automobiles uh, over in the UK, okay, okay, the OK UK. <laughs> <laughs> No, even in even in North America, there is actually there is money to be made in collectible automobiles. But I digress. I don't think that made
2: it into our alternative investment episode. It, it did no, not <laughs> I don't think so, but it it could. It's, yeah, absolutely. It, I, hey, yeah, you we'll look what? Into it. Maybe we that, should start a crowdsourcing al- automobile investment platform.
1: It already exists. I don't like I don't like automobiles <laughs> as an investment.
0: Anyway, so the real question is: What do you do when you're? RSP and your TFSA is full. First of all, congratulations if it is, because that's fantastic. Yeah, but, well done. But I've seen this question posed a few times through the community, and it's an interesting one because it's it's a there's a a whole host of options of what you can do at this point. And I think what you need to start doing is thinking about your strategy
1: before you actually get there. Don't you just open a taxable account? Boom, episode over. Well, I you know what? <laughs> it's funny you say that because <laughs> I was going to like
0: open up a non-registered account and keep indexing and carry on. Right. If, yes. If you're all in one broad-based index, you, it's just an extension of what you've already got. Just keep on trucking.
2: Yeah. No additional thought necessary,
0: right? Right. Okay. Well, I'll catch you guys next time. Cheers. Yeah. So that's it. That's all you need. That's pretty boring if that's the only person we're speaking to is the person that just wants to keep on indexing.
2: So so when, when you write that in, in the uh, response to those questions,
0: they don't just accept it? Well, I don't necessarily put that in there.
2: Oh. What do you put in there then?
0: That th- It's an option, okay? I And it's not a bad option that, say hypothetically, you're already 100% VQT, Just hypothetically, an all-in-one Vanguard fund, all-equity. You can just continue buying that in your taxable account. Right. Right. You don't really have to worry about asset location at that point because you have an equal spread amongst all your accounts. And we won't go too far into asset location because we did talk about that on a previous show, about having interest-based investments inside RSPs. Tax sheltering, non-advantageous income. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I was gonna say US-based dividend income in your RSP or international right. as well. Okay. So getting down to the actual question at hand then is if you don't just continue indexing, what do you do? From a tax point of view as well. And of course the accountant wants us to make sure we mention this is for entertainment purposes.
1: <laughs> and is our opinion.
2: As it is every show. As, as is
1: every show, yes. Now see I don't think that just because your taxable accounts are full, you should change your investing strategy or you're sorry, your registered accounts are full. You should change your investing strategy. You
2: you can't fill up your taxable account, right? That's not an option.
1: <laughs> no, that's not an option. That's, <laughs> that's correct. That's why, I'm, that's why I corrected myself. Like nice. why, why are you, why do you have to change just because you've hit the point where you're going to have to have taxable investments? Uh, only if you
0: want to change your strategy from one of growth and passive to a dividend approach, or if you want to go into real estate or if you want to pay off your mortgage or if you want to start the Smith maneuver.
1: Sure. But I'm going to argue that all of those should then have been part of your plan at the start. Well, that's why we're having this
0: discussion because like I said, there's something you need to think about before you get to those accounts being full.
2: Right. And for some people, you may have a taxable account before those accounts are full for a variety of reasons, right? For sure, sure, yeah, not, absolutely. Not the least of which is the RSP, isn't it advantageous to you at this time of your life?
1: Yes, and I think one thing that always gets like people get so scared of taxes they don't want. Oh my God, I taxable account, I would have to pay tax. Well, an RSP you're going to get taxed on when you pull it out, so you're going to have to pay tax. Uh, TFSA, you've paid tax on that income right. when you put it in a taxable account, sure. You're going to pay tax on your gains and you don't get any deduction for putting it in, but it's, I, I've seen people argue that, oh, well, I don't want to invest in a taxable account. Cause that would just make me pay more taxes. Well, if you're paying more taxes, it means you're making more money. It's a good problem to have.
2: I said it before and I'll say it again. I just want to keep the line of trucks going from my house to the CRA.
1: Hey, absolutely if if i have to pay if i have so much money in retirement that i have to pay a bunch of taxes i'm a very happy exactly all right well for that little uh, promotional
0: speech to the cra aside <laughs> i have heard people post up that it's advantageous to start paying off your mortgage more aggressively once there's no room in your tax advantaged accounts the reason for that is the guaranteed return and the increasing efficiency of your principal for your subsequent
1: payments. Sure. But I would argue that that's more of a risk strategy than a tax strategy. Yeah. Or investment strategy. Uh, Yeah. More of it. Like I could understand, okay, I have enough money sitting in my registered accounts. All I have to do is let this compound for a little bit. I also want to have a paid off house. So now that I've funded all of those retirement accounts and those tax sheltered accounts, I, I mean, I can understand that argument, but again, So many people get worried about putting money in a taxable account and I just, it's not a bad thing. It's a good problem.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I I don't, uh, but I think what you're, you're missing the point there is that a lot of the FI community is quite conservative and when they've maxed their tax advantaged accounts, they want to hit FI with a paid off house. So at that point, starting to pay off the mortgage aggressively instead of having taxable investments for some
1: people looks like it makes sense. When we do the math, usually it doesn't. But again, it's a comfort level. I mean, if you're just going strictly by the math, then of course, you're not going to do that because with interest rates today, there's no way that you can reasonably assume that paying off your mortgage is going to be more beneficial than investing.
0: Okay, here's a quick question. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about calculating taxes in a little bit here, but how do you do a back of the napkin in your head calculation of taxes just because i think if people don't sit down with some you know calculator and actually figure it out they don't quite see the bigger picture between different choices they have to make on taxable accounts like for me personally i know that my marginal rate i ballpark it at around 30% it's sure. probably probably a little on the high side but it's a good ballpark number to use so i can look at an investment that I can assume I'm going to pay that much tax on it when it comes to that tax time.
1: Sure. But that's also a little misleading because let's say it's generating growth, but not necessarily income, right? Like if it's, if it's an index fund, your income might only be a one, one and a half percent dividend payment, but you're expecting growth over the years. Okay, I guess
0: w- let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here because I do want to talk about that as well. I'm just thinking from a point of view is if I if I earn a thousand dollars, I can assume that if it's a hundred percent tax, that's it's going to cost me three hundred, right? Or five hundred. Like sure. we're going to have to talk about how that works, right? Because people aren't a hundred percent sure about capital gains tax, dividend taxes, and income earned income taxes, right? So maybe that's mm-hmm. where that maybe that's where we do need to start with this discussion is. If you hold different investments, you need to understand what these three different types of taxes are.
1: Right. If you receive interest income, you're going to pay tax at your marginal tax rate. So, if we say your marginal tax rate's thirty percent and you make a hundred bucks, you're going to pay thirty bucks in tax. Now, this would this would liken to if you have any kind of private loans,
0: private mortgages, things like that, or even if you had rental income, right?
1: Rental income. Well, I mean that'll be after you calculate what your actual rental income is, but yeah, that's taxed at the same rate. Okay. And then your dividends are going to get a whole lot more complex based on where your personal tax rates are with dividend tax credits and all that stuff. And that's a very personal situation, but the gist of it is you're probably not going to be paying as high as your marginal tax rate because of the dividend tax credit. And then capital gains are only fifty percent taxable on your capital gain, so you 'll pay at your marginal tax rate, but only for fifty percent of the gain
2: and you can play around a little bit with when you uh, when you incur those capital gains right
1: exactly because it's you're only going to incur the capital gains when you go sell those shares, so you can have more control over what period you're having that income in now I think
0: this gets i think where this gets really interesting too is that If you're making these decisions when you're still earning income from your job, it has a bigger, it has a different tax implication as when you're going to be starting to withdraw from your portfolio. Exactly. These may not be around forever either, but the Horizon swap-based funds. So the swap-based fund essentially defers all taxes until you sell because they don't pay any kind of distribution.
2: Doesn't the CRA keep trying to make those funds pay taxes or the holders of those funds pay taxes? I'm not going to. Trying to adjust the fund to avoid the taxes?
0: Yes, there are regulatory issues with this. And it's interesting, I haven't seen anything recent because I'm usually, I keep up with when stuff comes out about those funds. But they are currently the most tax efficient way to defer any monies earned within an index until you decide to sell it. Now the key is that sure you're going to wait until your FI and you're going to lower you're going to have lower earned income therefore your marginal tax rate is lower so that's when you're going to get the most beneficial return from taking a
1: capital gains and type style of investment right but I think this is where a fee for service financial planner comes into the equation because tax laws change all the time good point yeah Right. So if, if this is just a what do you do with money once you have a taxable account, maybe you see somebody, you make a plan. The the capital gains rate used to be seventy-five percent of capital gains. Then they okay. changed it to fifty. Like it, it's moved around over the years. I mean, we're in a huge deficit. If they decide they want more income, maybe they bump it back up to seventy-five percent instead of fifty. Right, right. Yeah. So today's correct tax choice might not be the correct tax choice tomorrow. But at the end of the day, You're going to be paying a percentage of the income you earn on your investments that are outside of registered accounts.
2: And you're going to be paying a percentage of whatever you'd withdraw from your RSP account. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Well, let's not muddy the waters too much with RSP withdrawal because that's now we're getting into drawdown strategy with that. One thing that I wanted to bring up before we got too far away from the choice of paying down your mortgage, because if if that's a personal goal is to have no mortgage when you hit FI, and you still have one when you're taxable tax, we're gonna keep getting this wrong that way when you're tax (laughs) deferred accounts. (laughs) Okay, my suggestion was that's the perfect time to start a Smith maneuver. Yeah, that's a great time for a Smith maneuver. You have existing mortgage balance which is non-deductible debt. You are now investing in a margin account by default. Why not just start doing the Smith maneuver? Fancy. No, it's simple. It's straightforward. It's it's what you're doing. The thing is it's what you're doing anyway. You're already investing in a margin account. So now yeah. all you're doing is converting it your your existing mortgage debt into building
1: that account faster. I will argue with you on that. Mm-hmm. Bring it on, big boy. You're saying you're already investing in a margin account, as in you're not on margin. You haven't touched margin. There may be margin attached to that account, but you're not borrowing to invest at that point. You're taking earnings and you're investing with them. Okay, I, I know where this is going. Keep going. <laughs> that's That's, 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 it. that's, that's my whole thing. point right <laughs> there.
0: But, but, but do you, okay, so you don't understand the Smith rule because you're not using any margin. You no, are, no, I,
1: I well, absolutely. He,
2: he was just clarifying what you said that you said you're investing in a margin account, which implies you're taking out margin.
0: No, 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 no. That I, is not. No, it's non-registered. Mar- okay, let's just margin and non-registered are synonymous in this episode. Like that's what they call them. It's either margin <laughs> account or non-registered account. It's a trading account. You don't have to use a margin. Come on. That was his point. You don't have to use
1: the margin. Okay. <laughs> I'm not, you don't use margin in a Smith maneuver. I mean, from one view, you don't. But in a Smith maneuver, you're not paying down any debt. That's right. You're maintaining your leverage. Right, but the alternate scenario is you invest a little bit and you make your mortgage payments, so you pay down your debt and build the investments. Yep, that's the slow way to do it. <laughs> I, I'm I'm aware of that, but it's also the, it's also the more conservative and way. the alternative to
2: what you're suggesting.
1: That's, you're you're sounding like it's a no brainer (laughs) whatsoever. You'd only ever choose the Smith maneuver. And I personally, with my risk levels would agree with you, but there are people that would want to slowly build an investment account and pay down their mortgage at the same time. That's fair. I, I will say though, that when,
0: and if you're at that point, it's definitely a good time to consider it, especially considering that hopefully your mortgage balance has gotten lower by the time you're at that point already. So it may be a worthwhile transition instead of like, you're not converting a $600,000 mortgage in and maintaining that leverage. Maybe you're only maintaining a hundred grand worth of leverage to do it. So anyway, by and by I think we've kind of beat that one
1: to death. <laughs> All right. Now uh, I was about- just trying to say it's not as clear cut as you were trying to make it out to be.
0: I'm just saying it's an option. If you're at the point where you gotta invest in a taxable account, it's something you should consider. It is it is a considerate. Uh, that's the show. This is the show about considering your options in a taxable account.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you're trading options?
0: <laughs> I'm not even going there. Okay, listen. So moving on. Okay, we talked about swap based the Ryzen swap based funds, which are only capital gains. Before we get too far into dividend investing, should we talk about adjusted cost base? <laughs> what about it? Well
2: <laughs> it's hard to keep track of. It's a pain in the butt.
0: It's something that you start to you need to start taking track of keeping track of if you're in a taxable account.
1: And this is true for whether you're dividend
0: investing or index investing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of discount brokers might not accurately Which is your cost base. It is. Right? It is. Whoever you're
2: going through, it should be, the government should introduce legislation that
1: that's mandatory.
2: If you want to make money off our asses, you should have to do your share of the work.
1: Yeah. And I mean, for the most part, it's a simple I buy shares. Tell us what I paid for them is my cost base. I go sell them later. The difference is my capital gain. But there are funds that you can own that will give you a return of capital. And that return of capital actually lowers your adjusted cost base. So in the future, when you sell it, you have a larger capital gain. And when
2: you're dripping, especially if you have a monthly drip, that's going to complicate your calculation too.
1: Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, you have constant buys adding to your cost base, right? So adjusted cost
0: base is something very important to track because this is going to determine what your purchase price was and what your sale price is for you know, If you create a portfolio of index funds that you draw down on during retirement, you need to know what your just cost base is on that drawdown so you minimize your tax implications because you need to take into account all the earnings you've had plus the increase in price and if, like the economist mentioned, if you were dripping, at what price all those dripped at. So, this is an added complication to your accounting.
2: But you don't ha- have to keep track of your earnings because you'll have already paid taxes on those. I guess unless, like the accountant says, your earnings
1: are return of capital.
0: Yeah, but if you drip a share, that changes your adjusted cost base.
1: Sure, but that's just like buying an additional share. Yeah, it's buying another share, which changes your adjusted cost base. You can say that about buying anything. Anytime you buy, you're going to have a a different adjusted cost base. That's my point. So every time you drip,
0: your adjusted cost base changes. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I'm saying, it can get complicated if people aren't tracking it regularly.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely something you have to start looking at.
0: I didn't think adjusted cost base was going to be an argument, more of an I, informational part.
2: <laughs> well, I just, I just said that, so I was confused why you were repeating. <laughs> um, I have a question though. Um, what happens if you haven't kept track of your adjusted cost base and Your brokerage hasn't kept track of it. What are your options when you're reporting that capital gain?
1: Uh, I can tell you from experience that you have to contact your brokerage. You have to request previous years of transactions, which can be very long and daunting. And then you have to pay an accountant to figure it all out. (laughs)
0: So uh, word to the wise, keep on top of this. And on that note, uh, as usual, we like to shout out to We basically do a lot of free advertising on the show. Let's just be honest here.
2: We're just hoping somebody's going to buy us another
0: round. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if we advertise for you, just buy us a round. uh, (laughs) There is a good service. It is called AdjustedCostBase.ca. Okay. And this is a free and easy way to calculate adjusted cost base and track capital gains. So for people that are getting into uh, taxable accounts and they're maybe not super spreadsheet savvy where they're going to actually spend the time to track monthly and maybe your brokerage doesn't provide you with all the requisite information that you need to do that. It is a pretty good service. I have looked at it before. I should probably be using it, but I still spreadsheet. I know some people are concerned about uploading data on that, so that's something you're going to have to look into on that, but it is a good service and it does help you track your adjusted cost base, which could be a problem if we're talking about withdrawing 20 years from now. There's been some serious changes in your adjusted cost base.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you can do it on a spreadsheet. That's what I've always done. There's a lot of templates out there. If you just Google it, I'm sure you can find one. Well, that kind of
0: brings us a little bit towards the discussion about, you know, we've had, we've talked about dividend investing before and we've talked about it. A lot of the advice is that you do this in your taxable account because the dividends are taxed favorably. Uh, We talked a little bit about drip already on the show. And I personally, with my dividend stocks and taxable accounts, do not drip them just to make my life easier when it comes to adjusted cost base. What are your thoughts on that?
2: What do you do with all your income? I move that into a straight index fund. And then track the adjusted cost base on
1: the index fund. Yeah, I mean, six of one half dozen of the other. Yeah, well, that way I track... you're going to have to track something either way, right? It's true, but in that case,
0: then I track one instead of tracking multiple individuals,
1: a whole myriad of different. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's understandable. But what
2: about all the days you miss out on uh, on being in the market with your dividends? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well,
0: I can't. I can't fractional drip anyway. So as soon as basically as soon as there's a dividend paid i make the transfer and i buy etfs for free so it's it's actually more i think it's more efficient because otherwise that money would be idle and i'd have to pay pay to purchase a new share well i guess i wouldn't have had to drip but i wouldn't have dripped no. i would have dripped a fractional share is my point
2: right yeah
0: yeah okay yeah oh go ahead uh, hands up you had a beer
1: no, no. I was just going to say we should pause and restart a recording. I was trying to give you a reasonable area to stop at.
2: Are you opening the uh, FI Garage fridge again? Oh, you didn't use the sound. Did you I use did the use the sound? the sound. Okay, I didn't listen to the whole episode. That was great. the problem.
0: Some good, <laughs> great show note guys you are. Don't even listen to our shows. I listened. <laughs> I'm the you one who did notes. Alright, I'll go see what's in the FI Garage fridge. Tidbit here before we get going again, since I found another beer in the fridge. Is it another Mark Seed beer? <laughs> well, of course it is. It's one for you guys that you're not here. <laughs> geez thanks. <laughs> okay, Perfect. this is here's a here's another shout-out because we love our free advertising. This one is the oatmeal stout from Flora Hall Brewing. And <laughs> it was Jordan over at Money Master that wanted me to taste this one and let him know how it was. So there you go. Lots of free advertising on the show tonight, boys. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers! So what I was going to say was my little tidbit of trivia for you was I just went from a Hazy IPA, Northeastern Hazy IPA, which was very good and I did enjoy it. It was a very good thing that The Economist suggested we break when we did because I almost forgot to save some for Mrs. Money Mechanic. I told her I'd save for some of that beer. Oh. So.
2: so she gets some, but we don't.
0: Well, yeah, you know figures, what? Doesn't it? Yeah, well, she contributes to the uh, FI household and uh, you guys not so much. Well, what do you do? <laughs> anyway, still trying to get my trivia out here. I'm I'm drinking gin with my mom and she comes over with a cup of something she's holding and she goes, you got to use this before you taste the different one. She's got some coffee beans in a cup. You know that coffee beans is how you cleanse your palate? Smelling them, not drinking them, smelling them. Coffee beans and gin? <laughs> <laughs> no, the gin's superfluous. It could be any flavor.
2: <laughs> so vodka and coffee beans will work? Uh, no.
0: Yeah, if you're drinking vodka. You're not going to know the difference <laughs> taste in vodka anyway. <laughs> All right, oh, well, the, the coffee beans aren't soaking in the gin. Speaking of coffee beans, wow. This oatmeal stout tastes like there might be some hidden in there. This one is, here, let me read the little blurbs. This is a double blurb show. Wow. Our oatmeal stout is creamy, smooth, and full-bodied, with sweetness balanced by a moderate bitterness. Dark malts create rich flavors of chocolate, espresso, and a hint of hazelnut. Well, See, I've, espresso. There you I've go. got, I've got the espresso for sure. I think that was the best reading of your podcasting career. I would agree with that. I'm getting better at reading. One day I'm going to get a my side hustle is going to be book narration, audio books. <laughs> so anybody like listening that needs an audiobook, let me know. <laughs> Perfect. Getting back into this show. Let's get this wrapped up, boys, before we drag on like we've done before. This isn't a time. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought we ended in the first five. Just index and keep calm. Next one three times. Done. Yep. <laughs> All right, I wanted to just talk a little bit about the differences in taxes between dividends and capital gains, okay? And I'd love to get into the discussion of why dividends are completely useless because you're just actually uh, drawing down from the cost base of the underlying security, and that's for another show. But there was a really interesting Twitter thread about that as well last week. So my contention is, and I did a little bit of playing around with numbers here, and I just used a hypothetical situation that I'm looking at and this definitely doesn't apply to everybody but it was just I was trying to illustrate to myself whether I'm thinking of the strategy I'm going to use is going to work well in a tax advantageous way for me. So, without further ado, the ma-
1: the money mechanic <laughs> presents accounting. <laughs> this can only go well. <laughs> Did you hear that drum roll? <laughs> yeah. Okay, first of all, let get some more yeah, stuff. have drink more beer yeah, first yeah, you, before you, you, you present you. accounting for sure. <laughs>
2: That's how this whole uh, whole uh, presentation <laughs> is going to go. I have a feeling. Listen,
0: another uh, free advertisement of today is TaxTips.ca. Tax Tips is great. Love them. They are really good. They have a ton of calculators over there. And this one's really good. This is the Investment Income Tax Calculator. And the beauty of what they do here, and they do some great work over there, is it's applicable to each province. So you can actually plug in some pretty specific information and get, I don't want to call it reliable results, but it's something you can maybe test your models and your thesis against, right? So on this particular, these particular samples that I did for our show today is, because I have the time to do it... <laughs> I ran a couple scenarios just to ballpark some taxes payable and please don't get at me about that I didn't factor in a lot of other things because I want to keep this simple all I did was I live in BC I put in my birth year, I put in no, I put in other income of $15,000, assuming that I may be on a coast-fi path, working part-time or one-third time. I just use that as my other income as a number to put in there. Mm-hmm. And the first example I used is I put in $15,000 worth of Canadian-eligible dividends. So that would probably assume that I'm holding you know, the top 10 blue-chip Canadian stocks in my taxable account. Now, we don't need to go deep into how the dividend gross-up works. We talked a little bit about that on other shows. And honestly, there's probably other podcasts that do a better job than we would anyway. But for sure. That mustn't bore ourselves. Yeah. Well, it's actually, you know what I like on this is when you plug the numbers in, it grosses it up so you actually see what the taxable amount is right on the form that you're doing it. It's, it's quite a good form online to do it. So anyway, the gross up on that says that it was twenty thousand seven hundred taxable. So my thirty grand that I want to live on now looks like I earned thirty five thousand seven hundred with that gross up. Okay. Sounds bad. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. And it's like, oh, this is going to work out terrible for me. Right. But because of the benefit of the eligible dividends where you've already paid the taxes on it, it actually works out that my after-tax income is $29,738, which means my total taxes payable were, drum roll please, $262. Not bad. Seems like too much. It seems like too much. <laughs> I think that's pretty reasonable on a 30 grand income for the year. Yeah. Now, like I well, said, oh, just let me finish. Like I said, we're keeping this super simple. I'm not th- th- throwing around. All, there could be all sorts of contingencies and variables that go into this. I'm just plugging numbers into this calculator to get an idea of what it's going to look like. Okay. So let me run through the second part before you just go well, or do you need to do it right now? No, I don't. <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> So the second example is the exact same parameters. I used 15 grand as my other income, but instead of Canadian eligible dividends, I used capital gains in this case.
2: So different parameters, not exactly
0: the same. Different parameters, not exactly the same. Right. Which I think I screwed up. (laughs) i I told you it was gonna go go this way (laughs) no 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 okay i got it i got it i got it i got it okay
2: okay 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 okay.
0: (laughs) i remembered what i did this is a long time ago i did it earlier today okay joe (laughs) pesci all right so this one my assumption was that my capital gains for the year were $7,500. And okay, let me get tell you why I assume $7,500. I still want to have 30 grand in income for the year. Okay. But that 15,000 that I'm going to withdraw from my taxable account, I'm only going to have to pay taxes on half of it, $7,500. And the reason I used that number as my half of it, because a lot of people out there will be shouting at their phone or at their speaker right now going, well, you're going to pay 50% of everything on the gains. The reason I chose that was because I looked at the rule of 72. And do either of you want to take a stab off the top of your head what the rule of 72 is, or should I? This is your thing. Run with it. <laughs> I love it. Just shovels it off to the accountant. I was shoving it off back onto you. For our listeners, neither of you knew I was going to bring this up. So this is a hot seat moment.
1: Well, I mean, the rule of 72 is you divide 72 by the interest rate and it's how many years it will take for your investment to double. Or, or the other thing.
0: <laughs> What's the other thing?
2: If your investment is doubled in X years, you divide X by 72 to find out what your interest rate was. Yeah. I mean, that's called algebra. So
0: you can kind of <laughs> flip the equation whichever way you want. Pretty sweet. Yeah, that's perfect. That is the rule of 72. It's... Divided by your annual 72 divided by the annual rate of return equals the number of years to double your money. So, this is why I chose that 7,500 is plausible as money because if this money has been sitting in your tax account for 15 years at around six or seven percent, it's probably doubled. So, there's a good chance your adjusted cost base could be at that point where you're paying that much in capital gains. So, I guess insightful. Uh, you know what? It's just something to think about, right? Because we think that capital gains are going to be less in the future, but if your money's doubled, that's all market double. That's going to be that's going to affect your taxable capital gains. Am I am I wrong?
1: No, no, that's that's a fair assumption.
0: Okay, so moving on with my example, we can move forward with this and hear your feedback on it. Is I put in a seven thousand five hundred dollars assumption? So I've taken seven thousand five hundred as well, tax free, because it's within my adjusted cost base that i pay tax on it to get my 30 grand, okay? But the interesting thing here is that my taxable income is $18,750, but because of the way it works out, I actually end up paying total taxes of $828. Yeah. So I I pay more taxes. I pay just shy of $600 more in taxes to take capital gains in my example.
1: What's saving? Yeah. Uh, Integration is a beautiful thing. Okay, explain. What do you mean by that? So... The Canadian tax system is based off of integration. So a dollar should be taxed the same no matter how you receive it. Okay. So if you're a business owner and you own income or you own a business and you were to pull salary from the business or you were to have the business pay taxes on its earnings and then pay out a dividend, the goal of integration is to have those tax rates be the same now they're not because integration doesn't work perfectly but that is the goal of the system that's where you want a good accountant to figure out yes exactly i'm not going to get into integration because it gets very complex but that's just kind of your basic outline of what it's supposed to be well i thought running those numbers were fairly interesting because i'm
0: you know it we already brought up that i i don't drip i take the dividends and i reinvest them into an index so I'm going to be subject to, well, and it's irrelevant too, because even if you're invested in a dividend stock, when you sell that, you are paying capital gains. So you're going to be paying capital gains. And I don't necessarily think you need to have an either or strategy if you're in your taxable account. No. Canadian eligible dividends are great. And my goal is to hit that $15,000 number annually, which is going to be good for my taxes moving forward when I'm in a low income bracket you're never going to be able to have an either or strategy. I mean,
2: hopefully. If you have dividend income, eventually your goal will be
1: to also pay capital gains.
0: If you need to draw it down for sure, yeah.
1: Right? Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing about the whole taxable account thing that is very important to remember is that your age in all of this is a major factor. And what I mean by that is if you're somebody who's going towards being financially independent and you're listening to this right now and you're 23 years old and you just finished university. You've been 18 for five years. You have $30,000 in TFSA room. I'm going to bet you've got next to nothing in RRSP room. You're going to fill up your taxable accounts a heck of a lot quicker than somebody who's 40 hasn't been saving their whole life, but has been building all that room, building all that RRSP room, building all that TFSA room, and then start saving. So, if you're a young person right now who's listening to this, you should probably have a plan for what you're going to do once you have to have money in taxable accounts because it's going to show up for you a lot quicker. Yeah, that's a fantastic point and applies equally well to
2: people who are, you know, halfway along their journey or, you know, and and are
1: approaching the same fork in the road. Exactly. And I mean, there there's one advantage you have of somebody starting a little later in life is you're going to have a lot more taxable room that if you start saving 50% of your income, there's a lot more years you're going to be able to put that 50% into non-taxable accounts than somebody who's 23. Yeah. It makes the decision a lot easier when you're just dealing with a TFSA and an RSP.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think what Really what it boils down to, and we've talked a little about this on previous shows too, is that you've got to look at taxable, RRSP, and TFSA in a holistic fashion. You need to look at it as one gigantic portfolio. Yeah. And make the appropriate decisions for the planning that you've laid out so that each bucket is working towards your goals with the best optimization and the best tax optimization in a taxable account. And don't be afraid of paying taxes. Don't be afraid of paying taxes. Exactly. Yeah. And just because, like you said at the beginning, like we could have ended the show right there, if VEQT works for you in both other accounts, it doesn't mean that it won't work for you in your taxable account as well. Yeah, absolutely. and. We like getting into the weeds and figuring out the minutiae, but so do people that are like, you could save on withholding taxes by splitting out your all-in-one ETF into doing Norbert's Gambit and saving 15% of a 2% dividend of $10,000, which is a lot of work for not much money. Don't let... I, I thought you... Were, I was waiting for you to bring your line out the whole show. I don't want I don't to have to use it for you. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog. Did you ever watch the movie? No, I didn't. Uh, one of the other things that we didn't get into talking about and it probably take us down a giant rabbit hole was once you get into a taxable account, maybe it's time to start thinking about real estate investments. So maybe we'll save that for another show. We have talked about real estate in the past, but it's another option. Maybe you've got a whole bunch of money tied up in the market and you're ready for to diversify. So
2: There's also some riskier investments where they don't necessarily have a registered option.
1: It, good point. That's right. true. I mean, once you fill up your registered accounts, that's when you get into Tontines, right?
0: Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Like, do you guys have some kind of bet that you've got to say it once on every show without 19. my approval? <laughs> <laughs> You guys are messed up. Uh, yeah, a little bit. All right. So, well, this Florida Hall Stout has probably got a little bit too much mouthfeel for me, just in the sense that it's, 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 it's strong. It's like it's a strong, strong stout. It's bold. It's very bold. Uh, it's not bad. Don't get me wrong. It has nice flavors, but I like a little bit subtler, a little bit less espresso, maybe a little bit more chocolate in my stout. So there you go, Jordan. That's my review of that one.
2: Nice. My Hayes Junction IPA is a little too uh, empty. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> as is my Phoenix Logger. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, good show. I have one more free advertisement for the episode. For those of you that are listening and scratching your heads and probably aren't really sure about all the tax consequences of each of the accounts, because there is a fair bit of research to do on this, I did find a fairly good post from Million Dollar Journey. And it was it's an older post, but it's been recently updated. And you know what, boys? By the time this episode airs, it's too late, but we totally forgot to be promoting the Canadian Financial Summit the last few episodes that we released. So our apologies on that. But anyway, this, ep- or this article was updated by Carl Prevost and Cornell Schreiber. And it is all about how the different taxes are levied in different accounts and how they work. So it's milliondollarjourney.com. We'll have that in the show notes for people who want to read up a little bit more on that. That's the last advertisement I have. Do you guys have any free ads you want to drop in the show? Uh No. You, you took up all the advertising time. I totally did. Like if we were yeah. charging for advertising time, we'd be making some money right now, boys.
2: You, you said it was a good show. And I was going to say, well, that's up to the listeners, but it really <laughs> has been a good show for those you've advertised for.
0: <laughs> well, you know, I feel compelled because I have the time to do a little bit of digging before we have these chats. And I often feel very unprepared because I'm not an expert about any of this. So, it's nice to know that there's a lot of content that's being written out there by people just like us that are learning more and people that know more than us to be able to share with everybody. So I think it's appropriate to give a shout out to people that have done the work to create the content. So that's
2: absolutely. Yep. I would agree. It's also refreshing to have you shout out to a bunch of people and none of them be explore FI Canada. (laughs) That is very
0: nice. Actually. I do appreciate that. (laughs) All right, gentlemen, we'll catch you on the next episode of. FI Garage. I was so close to saying "Explorer". if I can. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for listening. Hey, you can still find us on
2: Twitter and uh, FI Garage.ca. Yeah,
1: oh, yeah, yeah. oh,
0: yeah. Oh, you know what? We should drop a plug for our own show. Go ahead and buy us a beer because The Economist and I might have just evened up the beer race with The Accountant. I think we're going to talk about
2: that next episode. Huh? That's ridiculous. We'll see. Till next time. Good night.